Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 322 of the Impopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Impopular Podcast, I'm not really asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. As we get closer and closer to the national championship, clarity is starting to, uh, you're starting to get clear about who belongs and who doesn't. And The teams that are now in the in in the tournament, you know, once you're in the Elite Eight and the Final Four and stuff, the margin of error and the 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 difference between or the margin of talent usually is close. Like you don't get you you may get a blowout or two, but you don't get a lot of blowouts. You usually get the best games of the year. You usually get incredible finishes because. The talent on the teams that are remaining are usually similar, or there's not a drastic difference. Now, we'll talk about one that possibly was, but there's not really a drastic difference as far as talent on the teams. So when you look at some of these teams and you look at some of these outcomes, things have to stick out. Things There may be a player that has to go above and beyond. There may be you know, just a moment in, in, in which one team prevails over the other meaning it, it was just a moment that that sealed the game you're not going to get a lot of talent discrepancies now yes you can look at the you can look at it and say well one is a six seed one is an 11 one is a seven one is a three but that doesn't that that doesn't really mean anything once you get closer to the national championship because you've already played a battle tested team you've already played really good opponents so at this point you're playing you know you're playing the best of the best and where we'll start is of course the Kansas State and Michigan State game that we saw what two days ago first and foremost (laughs) I hate shouting out Michigan State because I know Michigan State fans but that was one of the best games I've seen in a while from start to finish. And I mean and I don't mean that as far as, you know, the ups and downs of the game or or a game winner, which we'll talk about in a second. That was probably one of the best and most well played games I've seen from both teams in a while. Especially in, in college. Now, of course you get some overtimes, you get some that, but Michigan State and Kansas State played their best bat they waited to play their best basketball for this game now yes i think kansas state can go on and and play good as well but each each team had a game plan and each team did what they were supposed to do and it's just so happened that of course kansas state had the de facto had the had the deciding factor like think about this one, two, three, four. Four players in Michigan State had over had double digits. Four players. And AJ Hogan had uh I think he had what 23? 25, I'm sorry. But the difference in this game, of course, was the five eight 160-pound point guard from Harlem, Marquise. Or Marcus Noel coming into the this game, he you know he's already been electrifying. He's already uh, 
I'm not going to say take the nation's heart or whatever, but he's been great. And while, no, he didn't score the most points, he did something that nobody has ever done. He broke a record. He had 19 assists in a game, which, while it's not the record for NCAA game in general, it's the record for NCAA tournament game. He had a 2019 game. Now, you got to think about this. The dude is 5'8". You're going against guards these days are 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". Hell, you can even go up to 6'7". And you have a 5'8 dude in Marquise Noel having 20 points and 19 rebounds. And, of course, we know about the incredible uh, the incredible alley-oop he threw to uh, Keontae Johnson, who, by the way, it's not talked about enough, the, sto- the, the Keontae Johnson story. Now, of course, we know, you know, he is the player that, collapsed when he was at Florida um and I think it was a heart problem and there was there was real belief that he would never play a game play again um he was able to rehab and get himself back to back to 100% and of course he transferred from Florida to Kane State and now he in the regular season he averaged 18 points a game seven rebounds two assists he is an NBA quality player and while well, yeah, he he led the he led the the Wildcats in scoring in the in the Sweet Sixteen, but again, this is more about this is <laughs> that was a great game all around. Of course, it went into overtime, and and that's when of course K State kind of took over in the in the late late minutes of the game. But this is one of the first times. Okay, K State one, two, three, four, five, six, six. They had six players score over double digits. Shouts out to Michigan State, man. Shouts out to K State. They they both played a hell of a game. And that was probably the best game. Maybe not the best ending, but the best game that we saw, at least so far. Now, as I'm recording this, of course, you have the second day of you know, the Sweet 16, you have Alabama playing San Diego State, Miami playing Houston, Xavier playing Texas. So I'll be able to give you an update of how that goes next time because, of course, it's not happening yet. But the games that we did see, it it was it it was incredible. And let's go to the next game. And this was the best finish of I guess the first day of sweets of the Sweet Sixteen. There's always fireworks when it comes to Gonzaga going against UCLA. We know about the Jalen Suggs three point shot that won them the game. It's it's always a battle between the two, and I don't. <laughs> Yo, this I I can honestly say I think this game this was a roller coaster ride of a game obviously. And if I, of course if I if, if I'm Gonzaga, I'm happy and and we got with the win. Our best player Drew Timmy had 36 points, which was the most by Gonzaga player in the tournament. Um but if I'm UCLA, bro, if I'm UCLA, I am sick. Think about this. Going into halftime, 
you were up 13 points, 46 to 33. Your best player was going crazy. Everything you, I think you went into halftime with only one assist or one uh, turnover. Everything, momentum and everything. And this momentum and everything was on the Gonzaga side. I mean, it was on UCLA side. And this is why I said this game, the Gonzaga-UCLA game, was the perfect example. You, you saw firsthand the benefit of momentum. And you saw firsthand what it's like to have momentum, to lose momentum, and to gain momentum. You see... First half, UCLA had all the momentum, all of it. I mean, Jamie, Jamie, he finished the game with, what, 29 points, but the UCLA had all the momentum, and I thought it was about to be a blowout. Again, you were up 13 points at halftime, and, well, of course, you know that Gonzaga can come back. UCLA was firing on all cylinders, and they weren't turning over the ball. So it's just they had all the momentum. And then coming out of the break, and I think Gonzaga goes on a 10-2 run. And you see slowly but surely UCLA takes bad shots. UCLA takes uh, – and basketball – here's here's something. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something about basketball if you do or do not know. I'll tell you the mind. I'm, I'm gonna tell you the mindset of a player that is that has momentum, that's losing momentum, and that doesn't have momentum anymore. So when you have momentum, you feel like anything you put up is good. You feel like you know your team's rolling. You're probably hitting a couple shots. the 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 rim feels like it's an ocean. Like anything you throw up, you're making. That is how good being in the momentum because it's like. You have the crowd on your side. You have the lead. It feels like everyone on your team is 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 hitting. Everyone on your team is going crazy. That's what momentum feels like. And then you start to see UCLA lose momentum. And as a player, you're thinking to yourself, at first you're thinking, oh, we're good. We're good. They're on a little run. We still got the lead. We're good. But then you realize, wait, we're not hitting this is our this is our fourth trip and we haven't hit. Hold on now, wait a second. All right, so now it's you're starting to get a little tight. You're starting to get, you're starting to think to yourself, oh shoot, I cannot lose this. Like we're we're good, but it's something. Whoa, whoa now. Then you lose momentum. Once you lose momentum, it is a wrap. It you it's it's over with. You you think to yourself, oh shoot, like. My chat, like, oh, damn. Like, now you everything you shoot, you're hoping you're going to make because it's like everything you shoot, you, you're you thinking, yo, I, I got, you know, it, it has to, it has to hit. So it's, it's tough, man. It, it is tough. And, 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 and let me speak on Gonzaga's side. What Gonzaga did you have to give credit to because again you're down 13 while well, yeah you have another half a lot of people can can turn it in especially you had a starter i mean you you had a starter that didn't score so it's like you it could just be like hey it's it's just not my day but 
Drew Timmy, and 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 here's the thing, man. This is this is why experience matters, and this is why you know being an upperclassman matters. Because I feel like if I know Drew Timmy was the best player on that floor, nobody can guard Drew Timmy, and it opened the door for Julian Straw what Strother to hit the game winner. Which, by the way, if if you think that I didn't notice that that is the same exact play that Villanova beat North Carolina on in the national championship. Mm, it was a tough one. But that was, again, that was probably the best finish. But you that, that game was the embodiment of a team that has momentum, losing momentum, and lost it. And that was UCLA. UCLA, they were juggernauts in the first half and then – Gonzaga just said, you know what, no, it's it's time to turn up. And then and they did. It's funny, man. I'll be real with you. I have a really hard time rooting for Gonzaga. I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I have no problem if they win or not. But I just have a hard time rooting for Gonzaga. It, it just feels like sometimes it feels like you're – I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to say it, so I'm just not going to. I don't know. But shouts out to Gonzaga for for – Beating UCLA seventy nine to seventy six again. Julian Straw. Oh, that's another thing I want to talk about. The game winner. Yo, he pulled from damn near the logo. But what you have to understand is Julian Strother is a three point shooter. And while he wasn't just lighting it up from deep the entire game, you have to be aware of moments like that. I understand where you are, but I also understand where the game is today. And I'm what I mean by is this. I understand you thinking about going under the screen if you're a defender because you're thinking, well, he's at the half. He's pretty much at half court. He's not going to make that. Yeah, you got to realize, though, he is their best three-point shooter. If he pulls, the game is over. And it, no, if he pulls and makes it, the game is over. So I don't care where he is unless it's like under the other basket. If he is about to, you do not go under the screen. And that's for anyone. It was a great screen. Don't get me wrong. It was a great pass. But you never go under the screen. Never go under the screen. Now, I'm not saying you just lunge at a player because that, that, that was just no. But do not go on the screen. I, and I understand that that was far. It was a far. And Julian Julian uh, Strother was having a bad game. He finished five for 15, three for eight from three, three for five for free throw from the free throw. But he finished with damn. He finished with a double double. And of course, he hit the shot of all shots. Now, again, shouts out to UCLA. They they played incredible. Jaquez Jr., he had 29 points and 11 rebounds. Um, Amiri Bailey, he had uh, 19 points and he hit a three-point. It felt eerily similar to the North Carolina 2000, what, 2016 game. Marcus Page hits a big shot and you think they won, or you think that they won the game or tied, up, tied the game up. Bailey hit the three-point shot. They they tie the game. Oh no, they hit the. Sh- they go up one, and then of course, boom. 
Yeah, man, it was a good it was a good one. It was a good one. I will tell you that. The next game I want to talk about is the Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic beating number four, Tennessee, 62 to 55. Let me first get my congratulations out the way. Shouts out to Florida Atlantic. First and foremost, I am shocked that they're still here. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that they deserve to be here. They are playing their best basketball at the right time. And they they rebound the hell out of that ball. I mean, they had a total of 40 rebounds. It it was it was an incredible game. And they were they came out as as bad as you can come out. They couldn't hit nothing. I think they were down like, like, f- like fifteen to three at one point. It they could not hit anything to save their lives. And I was thinking to myself, watching the game, yeah, that that's that's what's gonna happen when you're playing a a a, a, a top tier team. A lot of things that was falling when you played. Um, Who they play when they played? Uh, Who's the team that just beat Purdue? Played FDU. That's not gonna fall. But I was wrong. They came out and they they started they started letting it go with the second half. And once they started hitting, they what what I like about what what I feel you see with these you know lower seed teams like the ninth seed, the FDU, uh, Florida Atlantic, Florida Athletic. Florida Atlantic is you you're seeing you have to coach more because you're you're not getting top tier talent and don't get me wrong these are really good players but you're not getting the players that go to Alabama you're not getting the players that go to North Carolina you're not getting the players that go to Tennessee so you have to you have to coach better you have to get the players to buy in you have to be able to maneuver and 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 cover up your deficiencies and florida athletic athletic florida atlantic what am i doing florida athletic what in god's name <laughs> florida atlantic shouts out to y'all for making it to the elite eight your first elite eight in in uh in school history and and for tennessee I think that the Tennessee that we got, the Tennessee that we got against Duke, that was hitting everything, and that was playing. We know that Tennessee is a physical team. They've been a physical team all year. They're one of the most physical teams, and you knew that they were going that was what they were going to bring you knew that that's what they were going to have when they played when they play anybody they're going to bring a level of physicality that you know you're not really used to but but Tennessee was hitting everything against Duke like what's his name um Oliver Kahuma. I know I said your name wrong bro I apologize but Against Duke, he had 27 points. He averages 11 points a game. That just goes to show they were hitting everything they put up. And 
I think it gave us a false sense of reality about Tennessee. And it allowed us to forget that Tennessee, while yes, defensively they're incredible, offensively they've been they've struggled all year. And it wasn't their defense that lost this game. It was their offense. They could I mean, as a team, they shot six for twenty-three from three. Now, yes, Florida, Florida Atlantic, they didn't do any better. They were pretty much eight for twenty-seven, but they shot 26% from three. They shot seven for 12 from free throw, which is 58%. They shot 21 for 63 for 33%. Again, they were getting turnovers. I mean, Florida Atlantic, they had 12 turnovers. But the problem is, if you're not, if those turnovers aren't producing or aren't, if you're not scoring off those turnovers, it doesn't really matter. I think that you saw the real Tennessee on, or you saw the real Tennessee in the Sweet 16 against Florida Atlantic. While, yes, they physically are better than Florida Atlantic, while they, you know, have bigger players or they're stronger, they're not that good of an offensive team. And Florida Atlantic while their numbers don't say it, they are a really good offensive team. In fact, all they do is shoot threes. That's that's on the scouting report. If you lose to Florida Atlantic, that means that they were they bro, they shot 27 threes. And what I think Tennessee tried to do is they tried to once they realized their shot wasn't falling, because after that initial what 15 3 uh run, or they they went up double digits. After that, the shots just weren't falling. And I think that they tried to match, they were trying to match three for three. And that it just, it's not going to work if you're not a good three point shooter or not a good three point shooting team. So I think the, it was, it was such a special game that they, that, or it was, let me say this. The amount of, of big shots they hit against Duke was more of an outlier than it is. Oh, I think the real Tennessee is what we saw against Florida Atlantic. And when you're when your offense, while while Tennessee is an incredible defensive team and a physical defensive team, a lot of times their offense or lack thereof affects their defense. And that's kind of what we saw. They couldn't get anything. And Florida Atlantic is now in the Elite Eight, first Elite Eight in school history. So shouts out to you guys. And then, oh boy. <laughs> you know what's funny? Yukon destroyed Arkansas 88 to 65. You don't really see a lot of blowouts like that in the in in you know sweet 16 and stuff. And honestly, and I'm not really I know, I know you know, the, the score is the score. But the score this score is not indicative of how good Arkansas has been. I think this score is more indicative of how good Yukon is. You see Homie from uh Arkansas that was crying after their game against uh 
I forgot who it was. They Arkansas has had a, a plethora of up and downs this entire year. But one thing that we know about Arkansas is they are able to come back with the best of them. They they have a bunch of comeback wins this entire season and they have the, you know, Ben don't break mentality, which is what you're supposed to have. I think it was Dante Davis. Dante Davis is the one that was crying at the end of the or showing emotion at the end of the game. Um, Arkansas was did go through a bunch of up and downs. I'm not going to lie to you like they. Yeah, but the thing about Arkansas is they have what the the. The Mitchell brothers that could possibly go to the NBA, they're good. They are not 23 points. They're not 23 points worse than UConn. It just was not their day. I mean, if you look, they hit nine for six or five for 16 three. They hit five threes. They shot 31 or 31.7%. From from the field, and had ten turnovers. Now UConn had seventeen turnovers, but again, it goes back to the, this. To me, the you, Arkansas is better than than losing twenty three, losing by twenty three to UConn. However, the UConn that we saw against Arkansas is the reason why a lot of people have UConn winning the national championship. UConn's best player didn't even end up with the most points. Sanago had, he finished with 18 points. Put look. Jordan Hawkins was going crazy too. Jordan Hawkins had what twenty four. Um, who said it? I I talked about this last episode, but shouts out to Lafonso Ellis. Lafonso Ellis said the best in the in the tournament. Guard play is where is is pretty important. While your best player doesn't have to be a guard, um, your worst player can't be a guard. And when you're seeing uh like. Marcus or Marquise Noel, or you're seeing uh, Johnson, you're seeing Jordan Hawkins. They're the ones that can win you games. Even, and I'm not saying that they have to be the best players, but they can't be your worst. Again, UConn can beat you in so many different ways. That's why you know they're they're pulse. They're huge. UConn is a huge team. They're also an incredibly bro. They shot fifty seven percent. 57% from the field as a team. You understand how difficult that is? They were getting any, bro, they were running in, and that, and what's crazy is if you look at their stats, again, they had 17 turnovers. Usually a team has that is negative seven in the turnover category usually doesn't win by 23 points. This UConn team is built to win, and this is, when we talk about Alabama right now, who I think is the best team, I think that there's only two teams 
that can really beat Alabama that's still remaining in this tournament. And actually, there was one. There was two teams. There's three teams. One of them is gone, and that is Tennessee because of how physical they play. I think that Houston, because of Marcus Saster and because they have – they just run and gun. And then UConn. UConn can beat any team in, in, in multiple ways. I understand they had a rough patch in the middle of the season. I think they lost like six straight. But UConn is tough. And I – it's going to be – there's a stat thing going around that uh you know back in 2004 UConn both men's and women's won and then I think it was 2014 UConn's men's and women's won it would be very interesting if this year UConn men's and women I don't think it's going to happen because on the women's side I don't think UConn's going to win I just boy UConn is tough I watched that and I was just in Yo, they got they got up on Arkansas so fast. It wasn't even like it, it you look up, they're up ten quickly. They're up ten. I'm like, oh, UConn came to play. It was. But that was, you know, again, there's the games tonight or the games that yeah, tonight is going on. I haven't seen it yet. Alabama and San Diego State. I have Alabama winning that. Houston and Miami. I have Houston winning that. And Texas and Xavier, you know, Texas has not been impressing me as much as I would like them, as much as I thought they would. Uh, Remember, I have Texas in the final four, uh, but I think they're going to beat Xavier. So those who have winning tonight, well, I guess we'll talk about it next episode. But let's move forward. There's a... uh, conversation going around that I kind of want to address. Actually, I've been told to. I've been asked to address, not told. And that is this LeBron James uh, argument that's going around. Mario Chalmers, I think, sparked it when uh, he pretty much came out and said that nobody fears LeBron James. And of course, he was hearkening back to the era, like the Michael Jordan era, where people feared Michael Jordan. And you know, which is true. People did fear Michael Jordan. And I also think there's truth to not too many people fear LeBron James. You know, like I think there there is truth in that. However, let me let me just read something off to you real quick. In an era where nobody feared LeBron James, LeBron James is the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. He's a four-time NBA champion, four-time NBA NFL, or four-time Finals MVP, four-time Most Valuable Player, nineteen-time All-Star, three-time All-Star Game MVP, thirteen-time All NBA First Team, three-time All NBA Second Team, two-time All NBA Third Team, five-time All Defensive First Team. He was a one. He was a Rookie of the Year, uh, and he's also on the. NBA 75th anniversary team. He also, might I add, went to the NBA Finals, I think, eight straight years. I think that there is true that, you know, because people are making so much money, because people are so accessible, 
you know, LeBron James makes himself so accessible via f- 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 uh, social media. You see what his sons are doing. You see what his wife is doing. You see what his daughter's doing. You see what he's doing. Because of social media and because people, you feel more connected to these people. That's why I think that they don't fear LeBron James. I think there's a difference between fear and respect. I think that while, yes, LeBron or Michael Jordan was feared and respected, I I don't think that they fear LeBron James. But you understand who you're dealing with. Hell, you even heard Andre Iguodala. Shouts out to Shannon Sharp and Club Shay Shay, his uh, podcast, podcast p- platform. You heard Andre Iguodala. If they didn't form, you know, if KD never went to Golden State, LeBron James probably would have never lost to Golden State again in the finals. Again, you're talking about a man that went to eight straight NBA finals. I I don't care who you think is the best player of all time. It, it's if that's how you you feel how you feel it's your opinion. I don't care. You can think LeBron James is the worst player of all time. Cool. But one thing that you cannot deny is numbers. And it doesn't matter who respected who or who or who feared who. Like people feared a lot of people. I'm sure Shaq was feared a lot, and Shaq was one of the, it was probably the most dominant player, one of the most dominant players of all time. But okay, I'm almost sure people fear, you know. People feared Charles Barkley. He was throwing people through windows. He ain't got no championships. Again, while people probably don't fear LeBron James, they respect the hell out of LeBron James. And they understand that we're looking at something we've had, we've never seen. And we're looking at a player that hell. And if and, and I also don't I think there was fear early on, which is why you saw a lot of people tried to go away from the East when he was playing with, you know, the Heat and when he was playing with Cleveland. You saw a lot of people migrate to the West because they felt it was an easier route to get to the finals. I mean, it's, I don't, I'm not going to say hating. I don't know what it is. I, I do actually no because it's there. I don't think pe- I, people did not fear LeBron James as much as they feared Michael Jordan. That is truth. But you understand what you're dealing with. Like you know what you, <laughs> you know greatness when you see it. And that is what LeBron James is. So you can fear him if you want to or not, but he's still a four-time champion. He's still a four-time Finals MVP. He's still the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. So, I don't care what you fear. That is the facts. Let's move forward. Um, You're hearing a... As we know, in the pursuit of Kevin Durant, the Celtics were one of the teams that Kevin Durant, I believe, was interested in, and I was interested in Kevin Durant. And in order to get Kevin Durant, Jalen Brown would have been probably one of the casualties as far as in the trade. He would have to been traded. Of course, Jalen Brown heard that. And as a player, again, I told 
I told you this, professional athletes, everyone, but it was professional athletes in particular have huge egos. And once you hear, you saw that with Kyrie Irving. You saw that with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie, Kyrie Irving and LeBron James was smooth sailing. In Cleveland, they did just lose an NBA Finals, but, you know, we're going to be back. Kyrie Irving was playing his best basketball he ever played alongside LeBron James. And then, boom, you heard Kyrie Irving's name in a trade talk with or for Chris Paul. And everything just went downhill from there. <laughs> and, and, and when I mean went downhill, I mean Kyrie in Cleveland. So now I think you're – Jalen Brown is saying, I don't know what the future holds between me and Boston if, if you know, I'll reevaluate when it's time to reevaluate. Usually when you hear that, that means he's gone. Um, I think Jalen Brown is a clear number two as far as on the Celtics. I don't know. I guess he could be since how, how much he scores, but I don't know if Jalen Brown can be a number one on a championship winning team or on a, I don't think he can be number one and the team is a championship caliber team, but I do, he is the perfect number. Well, not the perfect, but he is a number two to Jason Tatum. Nobody would think that Jason Tatum is the Boston Celtics best player, but I also think, the Boston Celtics would be insane giving up or losing Jalen Brown and not getting someone like if you if you have to lose Jalen Brown to get KD I get that like cool it's Kevin Durant (laughs) like come on now but I think that Jalen Brown you know I understand his frustration. Like nobody wants to be in trade talks. I get it, but also, it's the league, bro. Like, I, and I say this all the time. I kind of go back to Damian Lillard with the whole loyalty thing. A team is always going to do his best for them. You think I understand? You think Steph Curry is untouchable? Let somebody call. Let I put money. Of course, it's never going to happen. So let me not say that. I will say this. If the Boston Celtics called Golden State right now and said, we will give you Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and a whole bunch of draft picks for Steph Curry, how much you want to bet Steph Curry is wearing a freaking gold, a, 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 a green jersey by the end of the day? What I'm saying is a team is always going to do what's best for them. Anyone's, bruh. Kevin Durant was traded. Kyrie Irving was traded. Allen Iverson was traded. It happens. Now, I also understand if if Jalen Brown says, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't feel, I don't feel, you know, maybe there there was respect lost in that whole trade situation, which I completely understand. Then, you know, then we'll see. But I just I think Jalen Brown is a really good player. I think he's a great player. I just don't I just don't think he'll be the best. I don't think he can be the best player on a championship team. I think he can be a very important like 
Jalen Brown was the best Celtic in the NBA Finals last year. Jason Tatum didn't play too well. Uh, but we saw who won the Finals last year. So uh, we'll just have to see what happens with the Jalen Brown thing. I do think the Celtics are still one of the best teams in the league. And I think, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I wanted to shout out Shohei Otani. Um, Japan beat the United States in the WBC championship. And Shohei Otani was named the most valuable player. Something was very clear and evident to me. Now, you could argue, there's always been, well, I think it's clear. I understand that, you know, Aaron Judge wasn't there. Um, And, of course, you have other players from other nationalities wasn't playing. Shohei Otani is the best player in baseball. You were playing against people like Mike Trout, who a lot of people thought or think is the best player in baseball. He just doesn't win that much because his team's not good. You were playing against Mookie Betts, who a lot of people think is one of, if not the best player in baseball. You were playing again. In fact, let me pull up again that Team USA. Team USA team. You were playing against Pete Alonzo, Tim Anderson, Paul Goldschmidt. You were playing against the top Kyle Schwarber. Adam Wainwright, you were playing against the... Now, yes, I understand Aaron Judge was not there, but you were playing against the top-tier talent in the United States or against the United States. And Shohei Otani was the best player. He And he, he, looked, he looked like he was the best player, like above and beyond. Again, once you once you see something, sometimes it, it's not you don't have to question it. It is what it is. Now, yes, you can argue who the best player is in the world. Cool. It could be Mike Trout. It could be show you hell. It could be Carlos Cabrera. But I I think when you step when you step up to the plate and. To win the WBC championship, you have to strike out Mike Trout, and you stri- and you throw two straight one hundred mile an hour fastballs, and then a eighty seven mile an hour curveball to end the game. And on top of that, not only does he pitch, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. Shohei Otani, in my opinion, is the best player in baseball. And I'm not going to say that the WBC championship proved it. I'll say that it solidified it for me. 
I understand. I'm going to have a bunch of people in my comments saying how wrong I am. I don't care. <laughs> I think that Shohei Otani is the best baseball player in the world. And it just so happens that he is from Japan. And shouts out to Japan for winning the WBC championship over the United States. So, I also wanted to shout out Alex Oveshkin. Um, Every single time he does something, I'm going to shout him out because I'm from the DMV area. Uh, and Alex Oveshkin is that. He recorded his 13th career 40-goal season passing Wayne Gretzky. The great one. Look, on one hand, actually, no, let me just say it like this. I've you've never I've never seen a team collectively try to help one player do something. Like, let me not say try, try. I've never seen a team as a whole collectively do everything in their power to help one player get a record. And it feels like that is what the Capitals are doing. The Capitals are trying everything in their power to get Alex Ovechkin that elusive title with most goals ever. I think he's third right now. They are trying their hardest. And, and, and I appreciate it. Because it's like, I don't know, I don't think they're out of it, but I don't think the Capitals are, de I don't I have, I have don't think there's any shot that they're going to win a Stanley Cup this year. And I really don't know about, maybe next year we have a better shot. Um, but one thing that I do know is the Capitals are trying their hardest to get Alex Dovechkin that, that title of most goals in NHL history. From the moves that they're making in free agency to how many times they try to set him up, it's incredible. And, of course, Alex Ovechkin will go down as one of the greatest hockey players of all time. So, shouts out to him for recording his 13th 40-goal season. He's He will go down as one of the greatest base or uh, hockey players of all time. And his the Capitals are trying their hardest to get him the most goals in NHL history. They're trying their hardest. And I can appreciate it. And lastly, before we go, I wanted to, again, every single episode in March, I am highlighting a woman in sports. Uh, and it just so happened to be African-American because that's what I want to do. I talked about Don Staley. Uh, last episode in this episode i'm talking about blake alexis bolden for people i didn't know who she was until i looked her up blake alexis Bo blake alexis bolden is the is the first african-american woman to play or compete in the women's hockey league which is the which is which was the nwhl which is now called the premier hockey league I'm just being real with you. In hockey, you, you hear in sometimes. All right, how am I gonna say? It? I'll just say it, and I'm not trying to be race, racial or anything, racist or anything. But you hear a lot when you talk about when we hear about hockey and they talk about hockey. 
what you hear is that is a white person sport. You know, you don't see a lot of people dominating in hockey. You don't see a lot of black people in hockey. Now, yes, I know that there has been black people in hockey like PK. PK was a black person in hockey and he did really well. But you don't see, you see, you don't see a lot of African American hockey, especially in women's hockey. So the fact that and, and on top of that, sh- hockey is is a welcoming sport, but it's not the easiest sport to grasp. I mean, you're you're essentially doing everything on skates, and the fact that. Blake Alexis Bolden was able, I mean, she's now currently a scout for the LA Kings. She, you know, shouts out to her. She did something that, and this show is recent. She, this, this happened in, in 2015. In 2015, she became the first African-American African-American player to compete in the National Women's Hockey League. 2015. 12 years ago. Shouts out to you. Shouts out to her. And there you have it. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, links in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to if you're listening. Please subscribe to if you're watching. It definitely means a lot to me. Uh, I'm getting a lot of comments and buzz on the tw- on the Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. I appreciate all you guys. Um, just, just keep the comments respectful, please. But I do appreciate you guys. Um, and until next time, much love.